coming theme that you have heard from me for a while now concerns the incredible changes taking place within our culture, impacting every arena of human experience. In particular, enormous cultural tectonic shifts are rocking all institutional structures, including every religious tradition. Within the world of the church, this topic overwhelms nearly everything else. How people's behaviors are shifting in subtle but profound ways due to the technology tsunami impacting everything from how we shop, how we organize time, how we date, how we construct friendships and important relationships, how we parent, how we learn, and how we teach. And most everything evolves at a rate that's now visible in three-year time frames. You know, say 10 years ago, we might say 20 years ago, we did it this way. But those referential time frames have been chunking down into smaller and smaller bits, and now it's three years. Three years ago, we did it this way, but now. No one, no organization remains immune from this crushing blitzkrieg because of the enormity and ubiquity of the changes that are rushing at us. Yet, for all of this change, the foundational matters pertaining to our essential humanity remain intact. Each of us still must contend with what it means to be born and having to die. Each of us still attempts to make sense of our, the days of our lives, addressing the questions of fundamental identity and purpose. Those questions are not going away anytime soon. We still must choose what matters most of all to us. And for that reason, I am basically bullish on Christianity over the long haul. I am, unfortunately, less bullish on the shorter run. That is, I think the church and all of its current structures are in for a very wild ride as it struggles to reform and reimagine itself in a very unstable environment. The profundity of Jesus' enduring power and presence will not end if a denomination or two or three go underwater. In fact, looking to his own time frame, the very center of Jewish faith and Jesus' own faith, namely the temple of Jerusalem was overwhelmed and torn down shortly after he died. The remnants are on view today 2,000 years later. But this powerful legacy, Jesus' powerful legacy, took root in people's lives nevertheless, continuing up to the present moment. Back then the question, what does it mean to be Christian, was not freighted with the fine points of creeds and denominationalism, which isn't to say there weren't early disagreements among Jesus' followers. There surely were, as we heard in our gospel lesson today. Did you catch it? Did you catch how some of the disciples reported that Jesus' teachings were difficult, and many then turned back and no longer went about with him? This led Jesus to ask the remaining 12, you know, the remnant of the 12, do you also wish to go away? 
as if to say, is it also too hard for you? To which Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom can we go? Where would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And you know, friends, as I read that this week, it seemed oddly apropos of our cultural moment. So many distractions, so many alternatives for our time and attention. But it occurred to me personally that I have no alternative answer to Jesus' question of Peter. Peter, who said, Lord, where else would I go? Some may turn back and follow a seemingly easier path, but in the words of Joshua, for me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm thinking we're living in a time when many find Jesus' teachings too hard, that is, too retrograde for current conditions, requiring too much commitment and effort. This doesn't alter the fact, though, that our choosing whom or what to follow remains an indelible necessity of our lives. None of us can escape the imperative of this choice. Every single one of us chooses something as the most important thing there is every single day. We might do this unconsciously. We may not choose the Lord, but something will take God's place. Check it out in your own life when you're feeling brave. Do a kind of inventory for yourself. And then check out the lives of your friends and co-workers. Scan the media of all the personalities who've captured your addicted attention. See if you can't make out what they value most of all by the content of their character and the wake they leave as they travel through the river of life. Paul instructed the Ephesians just before our passage today, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Then be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God, whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. That's the fundamental business we're in here. The forms and structures of our institutional life will inevitably morph into something that responds to current conditions. But you know that the essential call on our life remains as it has for millennia. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua implores, repeating himself three times. The church's first order of business has always involved the call to renewal of our covenantal relationship with God and the affirmation of our identity as the people of God. Now, unfortunately, as we all know, the church has performed this role imperfectly over the centuries, sometimes succumbing to the powers and authorities and enticements of whatever current condition we're talking about, succumbing to the dark powers and principalities of its time. We see evidence of this corruption today, don't we? We see it. We need to admit that. 
But you know, other times, the church rises into its call, or at least some portion of the church, some remnant, like the disciples, as John had it, some remnant remains and stays close to God's heart of love. In here, you know, we organize our life around our mission of seeking to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves. We return to this theme over and over again. You hear it from me all of the time ad nauseum because, quite frankly, it is very, very easy to forget, to get distracted and captured by the dark powers of our time, to slip away because this sort of love can seem so costly. And quite frankly, sometimes it is costly. Sometimes it is. Charles Raynal recalls how a segment of the German church rose up to confront the Third Reich. It was a remnant of the church because, as you also know, most of the Nazis were, by their own definition, professed Christians. Karl Barth, perhaps the 20th century's greatest theologian, was teaching at the University of Bonn when Adolf Hitler was named as Chancellor of Germany. He wrote to a friend that the German political situation was, quote, like sitting in a car which is driven by a man who is either incompetent or drunk. I felt it my duty to join in helping the church to carry on its work in the changed national situation. In other words, to maintain the biblical gospel in the face of the new regime. This led Bart to join what was called then the Confessing Church Movement, which wrote the Barman Declaration repudiating all the malevolent powers and authorities of the day. And earlier you heard Paul tell his friends that our struggle, our Christian struggle, those of us who have chosen to hang in with Christ, our struggle is not so much against enemies of flesh and blood, but the cosmic powers of the present darkness. Now that can sound sort of woo-woo out there, but on the other hand, friends, how do we name and contend with systems like the Third Reich that systematically slaughtered six million people? Or how do we speak of the powers and principalities that were also largely Christian in name that brought forth a worldwide economy for centuries based on slavery? How do we name and contend with any power or authority that strips dignity from people? You see, our choices matter. We, we kind of blindly or deftly go through life thinking, well, this choice doesn't matter, that choice doesn't matter, what I'm doing today doesn't matter. Our choices matter, they have consequences. Choose this day whom you will serve and let that service flow out in the content of your character and commitments. Now, as I said, at Christ Church, we claim our most essential commitment is to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves. That's it, that's it. That's our fundamental organizing principle. I'm almost tempted to say you don't have to listen to another thing if you live that. It is so simple, everyone can remember it. Simple, but not easy. That's because love is a kind of work. It requires time and attention and thoughtfulness and effort. 
oftentimes very great effort. To love well means intentionally establishing certain reinforcing habits. This is the point behind practicing spiritual disciplines. For instance, why attend worship regularly? Well, for one thing, it honors our very first commitment to love God above all things. You might ask, is attending a worship service the only or even the most important way I love God? And I could answer, well, maybe not. On the other hand, it seems a necessary recurrent practice, I find, that helps me keep a beat on the prize or the point of it all. The reason I need that is because I'm so otherwise easily distracted by all of the noise and whatnot that's going on. And it regularly places me in company of a rather unlikely group of people who are also attempting to keep their eye on the prize. And honestly, it never ceases to amaze me who shows up, where they're from, what they've been up to, and why they think they've come. Here's the question of the moment given changing patterns of behavior these days. It is a question of the moment that I've been thinking about. What does it mean to show up? To simply show up. And I mean this question across the boards, as in not just in terms of showing up for worship, for instance, but, but what does it mean to show up in a marriage? What does it mean to show up in parenting or in friendship? in a life full to the brim with love and gratitude? What does it mean to show up in compassionate regard for others, in deeply, deeply caring about the common good for all, 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 all? Each of these requires choosing the oftentimes more difficult yet better way. I am beginning to believe that the ubiquitous text, sorry dude, can't make it today, may be the hallmark epigram for these first decades of the 21st century. Sorry dude, can't make it today. Here's what I think. I think a life with that response, always, always at the ready, right here, right here, is a life that will forever skirt along the surface of what it means to be a human being fully alive. That's what I think. Choosing to show up may be the one essential necessity for anything that really matters to us. And it may be the foundational requirement of imitating God's love as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. What does it mean to love well? 
First off, it means you've got to show up. <laughs> 